0: This week, we chat with Annika Sorenstam, 10-time major winner and arguably the greatest female golfer ever. Our central focus of the two-part interview in Washington and Orlando shifted entirely after rioters breached the U.S. Capitol the day before she accepted the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the White House.
1: Nobody wants to see violence. Nobody wants to see chaos.
0: We'll take you through the events and what was said at each stage, and you'll hear from President Donald Trump and fellow Medal of Freedom recipient Gary Player as well.
2: There's so many people today that criticize. They criticize you because you have a splinter in your eye and they have a log in
0: theirs. After that, we'll get into other topics. Sorenstam reflects on breaking barriers on the course.
1: You have to have the courage to try something, you know, don't be afraid.
0: Her friendship with Tiger Woods.
1: When I won, I would text him, and when he won, he would text me, and and it was like, that's kind of cool.
0: And she and her husband share how they nearly lost their son after giving birth three months early.
3: I, I thought we lost our son. Simple as that.
0: Before we dive in, just a reminder, your ratings and reviews help us out a ton, especially getting our episodes in front of more listeners. So huge thanks for any help on that front. Without further ado, we start in Washington with never before heard snippets from the Presidential Medal of Freedom ceremony exclusively heard here for the first time as I was the only media member allowed to attend. Here's former President Donald Trump at the mic.
4: It's my privilege to present our nation's highest civilian honor to some just incredible people. The presidential... Medal of Freedom. Annika, you made your country proud. You made all of us proud. Uh,
1: thank you, Mr. President. I want to say thank you for all you have done and the service to our country, particularly <laughs> During the coronavirus crisis, I know it's been very tough and challenging, but many congratulations on rollout of the vaccine and warp speed.
4: Gary Player, I know him well for a long time, right? For a long time. And I just want to congratulate a friend of mine, a real friend of mine. He's just a great gentleman, he's a great man.
2: Uh, Mr. President, I stand in this room with you, sir, and all these wonderful guests in this wonderful White House, which has helped. Change the world for the better.
0: The Medal of Freedom ceremony on January 7th, 2021, seemed like any other day, at least inside the White House.
4: Gary earned the title Mr. Fitness. He just told me, he said, Sir, lose a couple of pounds. I said, Okay, Gary. I said, You said it in front of Annika. That was very rude. But don't you? Th- How rude can you be?
0: The afternoon prior, chaos reigned as rioters breached the U.S. Capitol, incited by remarks from President Trump, who repeated his false claims his failed 2020 re-election was stolen.
4: We're going to walk down to the Capitol because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong.
0: Five people died and more than 100 were injured. The mob threatened the lives of both Democrats and Republicans, including Vice President Mike Pence. The Medal of Freedom ceremony was originally scheduled for March 2020, but delayed due to COVID-19. We were the only press allowed to attend and we spoke with Sornstam, her husband Mike, and Gary Player following the ceremony. How strange is it being here today mm-hmm. after yesterday?
1: You know, I think we're all just very sad to see. Nobody wants to see violence. Nobody wants to see chaos. And so it's just, I think it's a tragedy, um, but I'm hoping for a better day. You know, we woke up this morning and it was quiet. It was, um, the streets were empty and, and um, this was planned and, and here we are.
3: We respect the office of the president, no matter who's in office. She was gonna accept the award always, no matter who it was from, and things happened the way they did. We were en route here. We had no idea what was going on. Um, we started corresponding, seeing some stuff you know, on social media, and it was crazy, but I mean, everybody, our guests were already here. We were already en route, and it happened. It was a shame. It was an awful day in our history, and, and no one would say otherwise, um, and I, I, actually feel a little bit badly for her and Gary and and, and Babe with the timing because it's not what they asked for it's not like they said hey let's do it this morning you know I mean this was planned nine months ago
2: there's so many people today that criticize they criticize you because you have a splinter in your eye and they have a log in theirs. so we're living in very strange times at the moment but um, this is an honor bestowed upon me by the number one man in the world, the president of the United States. And sometimes it takes somebody who doesn't live here to appreciate this country more. Having traveled more miles than any human being that's ever lived and seen the racism, the communism, the um, different forms of government and how people have lived. This is when you're in dictatorships, That's where you learn, you actually learn from that, from your mistakes, just how freedom is such a cherished thing that so many people died. Do the young people today understand that freedom is not a gift?
0: Players' estranged son blasted his father on Twitter, with other national outlets also criticizing the golfers for accepting their medals. The following week, New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick turned down the honor. Meanwhile, Donald Trump became the first U.S. president to be impeached twice. Although voting to acquit Mr. Trump of inciting an insurrection, Senate Minority Leader and Republican ally Mitch McConnell still blamed him for the riots.
4: There's no question, none,
0: that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. Gary Player declined to update his comments for this episode. However, Annika Sornstam addressed the fallout more than a month later when we sat down at her Orlando home for a visit already scheduled before the riots. One of your greatest strengths, you said before, is the ability to just never uh, you know, second guess. In the weeks since the ceremony, has that strength been put to the test for you?
1: Uh, I would say, you know, quite a bit. I've spent some time thinking about it because obviously the, the uh, exception or the, the acknowledgement has been very mixed. You know, I've received quite a bit of uh, positive feedback from friends and family and, but then there've been some, you know, not so positive And I, you know, I've heard those and I've listened to those.
0: What did you hear in terms of like the, the critics?
1: I'm going to be honest, I I haven't uh, been on social media uh, since then. The other things that I've heard, the negativity is not necessarily, you know, my achievements, but, you know, the timing.
3: It it bothered me most because someone I love was getting, you know, vilified by some for receiving our nation's highest civilian honor. And um, that bothered me.
1: It was awful. What happened at the Capitol? I mean, you were there. Um, I mean, when we were there, um, actually, when we arrived, it was it was cleared. Right. But what happened? Uh, I don't do not agree with violence. You know, I do not uh, think that that type of behavior is acceptable. And I certainly, and we all know that that type of actions don't solve problems. And so, you know, I am I am sad about you know January sixth in American history, uh, with a lot of people. So, you know, I, I, I share the sadness, absolutely.
0: What do you say to people who think you guys should have postponed it or declined it altogether?
3: I, I understand, I, I totally understand, I get it. And she understands too.
1: Here we are, what, a month later? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't look back. I'm focusing on the future. I look at this award and I'm I'm part of a group that made the, the world a better place.
0: There was a moment like in your speech where you thanked the president for his service to the country and it was interrupted by a you know a standing round of applause it seemed like you were very uncomfortable
1: you know i don't have a lot of experience you know uh, being around presidents you know and so, you know, I think everybody knows that growing up, I was uh, very shy. I, I always wanted to take the trophy and run. I always wanted to do that. And I, that's, you know, haven't changed.
0: Hindsight's obviously 2020. Would you do anything differently from that experience?
1: I think that, you know, putting energy on things that I can't really control is, is not been my thing. And, and uh, you know, it's time to move on. You know, second guessing is just, um, you know, I just don't, it's just not part of my nature.
0: How did you explain the controversy surrounding it to your kids?
1: Uh, I think what we have said is, you know, people have different opinions. Uh, This country is divided and uh, we have to listen to everybody.
0: During the Medal of Freedom ceremony, Sorenstam got emotional when talking about her family.
1: To our children, Avon Will. You are my biggest trophies. We love you so much and we're so proud of you. And I'm so glad that you can be here today. I knew I would stumble on this one. Last but not least, my wonderful husband, Mike. You're my rock and pillar. My life is so much better and fun with you in it. You have encouraged me to find peace and strength in who I am. You helped me to pursue my interest and work, and you're an amazing, loving dad. I think we make a great team, and it warms my heart to see you, how proud you are, and I love you too. (laughs) Let me assure you, this is the greatest honor I've ever received, but my dreams aren't complete here today. We will continue to inspire the next generation.
0: That concludes the Medal of Freedom portion. We're now going to shift gears to the remainder of our sit-down interview in Orlando, as teased at the top. Since we did the interview at her beautiful seven-acre Florida property, what better place to start than discussing the recent renovations? This was the house that famed coach David Ledbetter, uh, you know, once uh, built, but I, I don't think it's anything like the form it once was. What was involved with the renovation?
1: Uh, well, I mean, he um, he was one of the first um, uh, people that moved into Lake Nona. I think he made the club famous because he brought his academy, he brought his teaching over here, and I think he was able to pick the lot that he wanted. And so, you know, that was 1990. So, that you know, it's a few years ago, and uh, the style that they picked was very much... Um, new mexico style a little bit adobe fireplaces and i mean it was beautiful logs believe it or not we had massive logs in there you know 16 inches i mean it was beautiful and um you know the academy was here but it was totally you know his academy they had six dogs running around and and when we purchased this house you know after 20 years we felt like it we want to have a little personal touch and then but then our daughter came ava and then our son came and all of a sudden the renovation plans were put on on hold and then Eventually we said, you know what? We just love this area. Why don't we just decide to make it a little more personal touches? So as anybody knows who have done a renovation, you know, you start in one end and it never ends and you add up stuff. And if you're gonna do that, you might as well do that. And so after 18 months, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a new place.
0: (laughs) I I understand it started as uh, with the renovations as transitional and ended up becoming modern.
1: Yeah, it became very modern. Um, It's funny, maybe there's some, uh, likeness to sweeten the simplicity and you know clean lines and so forth and you know so yeah we spent a lot of time on on the house and so now I gotta work uh, on the yard a little bit more I'm you know particular with the grass and I'm sitting here and I feel like we gotta work on the grass next but as you know it's just it's a lot of work and when you are have when you have a full full-time job and a full-time mom it's you know things gotta put on the side well, and <laughs> it's a
0: never ending story there's always something to do right um, yeah. w- how about the feature that you added that you were most excited about
1: um you know i think it's just highlights what we do i mean when we sit down we said you know what what's important to us and you know what are some of the rooms that we use the most and you know number one was the kitchen okay so uh, i love to cook so we just make sure that it was a very functional and welcoming and useful uh kitchen and then obviously you know the bedrooms and uh it would just literally go down the list is where we spend our time and make it more of a, a living house than just a a fancy house, and um, you know there were some rooms that you can just remove, but you make it more friendly. So you know, Mike got his uh, his uh, ideas was TV everywhere, then I'm comfortable, and I want to have comfortable furniture to sit and welcoming and cozy. So we kind of put that together. But I think it's really a um, you know it's a you know we like to entertain, but I should emphasize and say we used to because with COVID obviously right. we're very cautious about that, but we love to entertain with friends and family, and so there's a lot of sliding doors to the outside because we love the outside so you have indoors and outside and and combine that with with dining and sitting so forth and then we do have a wine cellar that we're quite proud of I think because it's in the center of the house it just lifts it up it makes you well it makes you thirsty I guess but it's a nice thing when you have friends coming so and then we have a nice gym because we use that every day so it's a few things that we have spent time on and money for the things that we kind of our passions
0: I know in addition to you and Mike being married Mm -hmm. you work closely together professionally with both uh, running the business you share an office Uh, Mm -hmm. um, difficult though uh, co-design process (laughs) with the house or no
1: no I think we have very similar taste I mean I I like to say we respect each other and um, you know I'm I'm sure he would uh, as
0: he looks on yeah I'm sure he would (laughs) say
1: that he probably agreed a little bit more uh, towards you know, towards what I like and I appreciate that. But you know, we try to you know, what's important to you, what's important. And then, uh, but I, I think the way I look at things is I like to think more about the future. What are we going to use and what's important? I think he's more of, okay, this is what I use now. So we're trying to find a, a happy compromise where you know, let's think about the kids when they're. I know they're eight now, but we're going to blink and they're going to be ten and then teenagers. So so because I said I'm not going through this process again. It's once is enough.
0: You go from uh, playing full-time to pretty much transitioning full-time into business. Mm -hmm. How about the biggest challenge associated with doing that?
1: When I stopped playing was in 2008, and things were great, you know, and then all of a sudden when I stopped, it was like economic crash. At that time, I'd been number one in the world. You know, I was feeling very confident in my game. I felt very confident in the things that we were doing. It was designing golf courses. You know, we had a golf academy. It was a foundation. At the time, we had a high-end wine, clothing, and a few things. And it was just, you got this, you know, crash, and it was like nobody was going anywhere. Nobody was purchasing anything. You know, you just kind of have to adjust, and you have to you know, move forward and think, okay, what do I do here? I mean, it's like playing golf on a rainy day and, you know, you just can't walk off the golf course, right? And But there's a lot of things that golf has taught me. I mean, certainly the patience and, uh, determination and and you know being focused. And a lot of those things I'm very grateful for that I was able to use in you know in the building of the Annika brand. Tiger Woods told me this once time too is you know you uh, you know do less uh, to get more. I mean that was his thing, and I felt like I do a lot for less, <laughs> and that's kind of how I summarized it. But it was just looking at your time and say you know what what's important to you, what do you enjoy doing, and I'm not just talking about uh, you know money. It's it's more about the reward, the satisfaction, the enjoyment, the right. things that you do in life, and then taking one step at a time. And, you know, first I had this, you know, grand plan of this, and, uh, and then you realize, well, maybe, okay, the grand plan is over here, but let's start with the small plans. You know, how do you get there? And you're getting uh, satisfaction and enjoyment and results in a shorter period of time. So I think that just kept the energy going and people was more excited about saying, hey, we're making progress. You know, we're not all the way there, but hey, step by step.
0: Long-term goals on your guys' end with the business would be what?
3: We want to, I could see, maybe get into the, back into the wine space at some point or a, a drink, sparkling drink or something, maybe something in areas of cooking, any of our passions. But we're really focused on the foundation now and, and providing opportunities for junior girls around the world. We'd like to expand foundation events, um, maybe add a few in the future, maybe United Arab Emirates over there somewhere we've talked to. Um, Abu Dhabi a little bit and just we want to get the whole world covered.
1: I mean today we have over 600 uh, girls every year that participate in our events. We have seven global tournaments so you know fast forward you know five years from now you know we'd like to say that we have you know 1,000 girls 1,200 girls 1,500 girls so we can increase by that and the different initiatives that we do and we can talk about girls to have played in our events uh, that are now professionals and as far as you know designing golf courses you know I. I like to be able to do more of that. I like to share, you know, the passion that I have for that around the world and kind of spread it out and not just be, you know, in Asia. A lot of it has been in Asia. Uh, you know, be able to do it, you know, globally. So uh, it's uh, every entity has its own goal, and but it's you know, it's to me, it's more about the experiences that we provide. You know, I love working with these young girls and be able to see them and see how they grow and and uh, just kind of watch them mature. It's been really fun for me.
0: What's the most satisfying part of that?
1: I think be able to share my experiences, be able to share my knowledge and and help them along the way, you know, where they might be at a crossroad or they feel maybe down on their game and feel like I'm not getting anywhere. What can I do? So to lift their spirit, you know, to help them uh, move on their journey and fulfill their dreams. I think it's just um, you can't really put a a price tag on that because it's just it warms my heart to see them to go there, you know, talk real stuff and talk seriously. So I think one of the stories that touches my heart um, the most is we had a young lady from South Africa. We invited her to play an Anika Invitational, and she, um, she played really well that week. And we had over 30 coaches, college coaches, to watch. And she ended up losing in a, in a playoff, but she walked away with a biggest smile because she, was, she got a, a scholarship. I remember telling Mike, I said, this is why we do this you know, for these young girls to get this opportunity to be able to come to this great country and and live your dream, which is kind of really what I'm doing.
3: How do they view her? I think she inspires them. I think they view her as an idol. She's reinventing herself to, to the young generation through our foundation, and they see that and they appreciate that. This logo, nobody would have known 10 years ago, but these girls know that, and I love it. When events start out, the new girls that maybe hadn't played one of our events before, they're very quiet and they just kind of stare at her. And they're shy and they don't ask questions. And literally at the end of the week, it's selfie, arm around, you know, swarming her videos and everything. And it's it's really cool to see. How did the idea for the invitationals come about in the first place?
1: The invitational idea started probably the end of uh, 2007 when we had, you know, discussions about foundation. And also just knowing that I had been in their shoes not too long ago, so how, and now 15 years forward, how can I now get back to the game and grow the game? So we tried it out, you know, 13 years ago, just, you know, it was such a success. We we had several different countries represented and we started one in China because I designed a golf course just outside Hong Kong and then Europe came. And so, you know, here we are. I mean, you know, when we had our tournament in Argentina five years ago, they hadn't been an invitational girls only tournament. To me, that's been such a huge thing that we have done to really you know increase golf participation at grassroots level at these at these countries because they have girls playing in our tournaments. so it's it's a trickle-down effect. and and we actually have college coaches now recruiting in uh, Latin America because of this. Course
0: design. Yeah, um, you and uh, you know Jack Nicholas t- teamed up for you know a a course bid for the rio olympics you uh you know worked with arnold palmer way back when on you know co-designing a course how about lessons learned from those experiences
1: Mm -hmm. i love cooperating and and learning from successful people that have you know kind of taken the path before and you know with mr nicholas it's like you know at the time you know the greatest player ever it was just, you know, I felt like, where do I belong here? And, you know, I'm this really? young girl. Yeah, I mean, I've had won some majors, but still, I mean, Jack is Jack. And, and um, but I remember, you know, just sitting down and talking and, and just listening. I mean, I was in a listening mode and, um, and then he would say, what do you think, Annika? You know, just in front of these. Uh, and I would just kind of share my thoughts on, and from my perspective, of course, as a female and uh, being from another country, and and you know my perspective, and he listened, and I thought that was pretty cool, and and then I had some thoughts, and he get got out his pen, and he was like, tch, tch, tch. he was literally erasing what he had and put in my thoughts, and I said, you know, this guy's, you know, pretty cool, even though you know he has so much knowledge, but he listened to me, and when I worked with Mr. Palmer, it was you know. A different type of personality you know obviously he was uh, older uh, and this was more of a redesign you know he talked a lot about growing the game he talked a lot about you know this family and and enjoyment and you know I, I love it i love working with them and i mean for me it's just about getting to know it from another perspective too and not think that you know everything
0: when you played with uh, the the men at the colonial um, you know, first uh, LPGA player since uh, Babe to do mm-hmm. so, who you, you, know, shared the Medal of Freedom honor with a while back. You called that week um, the, the greatest week of uh, golf in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, what made it that way for you?
1: Well, it was an amazing week. I mean, I look back at that, uh, the week itself, but also I would say the kind of the journey towards that week. I was asked by a reporter If I would ever play with the men, and this was in 2003, I'd been number one for a while, and I was, you know, I was at my peak. And so when they asked the question, I'm like, "Yeah, I would love to do that." I walked away, and my agent at the time, Mark Steinberg, said, "Do you have any idea what you just said in there?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm going to play with the men." (laughs) He's like, "Okay," because I, you know, I practiced with Tiger, I practiced with, you know, some of the other PGA pros. You know, I, I felt like this is would be great, you know, great for my career. And so it was more about okay can I handle this? You know, can, 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 does my game survive under, you know, these headlines or spotlight? So that was kind of the journey, those four months until May. Uh, it was a lot of interviews, a lot of people all of a sudden was interested in the game and I was just trying to focus on getting better, you know, maybe it was more mentally just understanding that, hey, Annika, you, you're going to be shortest, you know, you're going to be, you know, hit, to the green first you know just kind of have a different mindset uh it was it was great you know looking back at it i learned so much about my game i learned a lot about myself i learned a lot about golf the bigger picture is more you know when you have a dream and you know don't you know you have to have the courage to try something you know don't be afraid um and because uh, you know if, if i would have said no there i would i probably still sit here today and say you know what i wish i knew what it would have been like you know if you want to grow yourself and mature and get better you have to kind of get uncomfortable to right. see what you're made out of
0: annoyed by vj singh's comments then
1: uh i mean i was aware of his uh comments of course you know people have their opinion and you know his background i guess maybe that's you know what the way he would look at things i don't really know and does I that lo-
0: motivate you more Not really, no. The
1: negativity doesn't motivate me. I think the positive comments motivate me or just emphasizes that it was a good thing. And, you know, I got, I had a lot of people that want to play practice rounds with me. And I think they knew my intention. I mean, intention wasn't, you know, to to go there and, you know, put them on their spot. On the contrary, it was me. You know, I had to really play well to, you know, to even able to perform. So I thought that was really, that was fun. I look back at it with fond memories. I missed a cut and I was exhausted, let's put it that way. It wasn't just two days of golf, it was like four months of just giving it all. So I was, there was nothing in the tank left Uh, and I said you know I'm gonna take everything I've learned the last four months, I'm gonna take it to the LPGA and it will help my game, it will help the LPGA, it will help women's golf, it will help women's sports. And that to me was a win-win and and you know i had some great years after that your
0: caddy said this is like the thursday morning of colonial Mm -hmm. 20 minutes before tea time he's i think cleaning balls looks Mm -hmm. up and sees this overwhelmed expression on your face that Mm -hmm. he said he'd never seen before that had never seen again uh what are you thinking at that time
1: yeah you know what there's actually a few things that i don't remember it was such a blur i think he told me uh before i teed off i said i don't know what i got myself into and it's like well you're teeing off in 20 minutes it's you know it's right here it's happening it's just you know how to deal with nerves how to handle pressure and you know just all those things that you've learned in your school years and 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 years on on tour
0: and how would you describe the scene there
1: oh it was insane i mean i've never experienced anything like it there was so many people uh, it was so much cheering, they had these uh, green buttons that says, go Annika, and it was so neat to see. There was a lot of girls, young girls, a lot of women, uh, a lot of men too, I mean there were people climbing in trees because there was not um, room for them to see. It was kind of, the, the world stopped at a moment and, and I was trying to breathe and stick to my routine and then, yeah, then when I finally, it was my turn, it was like, okay Annika, you've hit a lot of these shots, just trust yourself. And then when I hit it and I saw it go in the direction I had hoped, it was like, kind of relief and off we went.
0: Tiger, when both of you guys were at the height of your game, um, in what ways, if any, would you help one another?
1: I would say that just, you know, understanding what it's like to to be at the top and, you know, what it takes, the sacrifices you make and uh, just somebody to talk to that kind of can relate to that. Um, Because, I mean, that's the thing, a lot of people, you know, you win a major and they think, oh, you're happy you're done. and I was happy, but I wasn't done, you know, so, you know, just talking to somebody who's gone through it and what it takes and, you know, that was fun. And then it became competitive. I mean, it's when I won, I would text him and when he won, he would text me. And, and it was like, that's kind of cool.
0: What impressed you about his ability?
1: Well, he's amazing. Um, a few things I found: his concentration level, focus you know, disciplined uh, in certain areas. Uh, He would ask me questions and I'd be like, well, I I, I thought you knew that, but he would ask. So he's very inquisitive about getting better. When I practiced him, he was very much into Navy SEALs and you know, he pushed himself very hard. He wanted to be, you know, this um, super athlete. He loved that. Uh, So he was not afraid to try and experiment to get better. Uh, But the focus, the ability to focus was to me was something I haven't seen before.
0: What was the moment for you where you realized you were ready to move on.
1: Yeah, I think it was between <clears throat> 07 and 08, uh, the winter time when you know I would always take some some weeks off, and I was I would always you know recharge my batteries. I would start thinking about the year. You know, goals would naturally pop up, uh, and that year it just the goals didn't naturally pop up, and that's when I realized that it's I felt like I have achieved everything I wanted, and you know the commitment that you have the discipline that it takes wasn't as strong anymore because it wasn't I wasn't hungry to necessarily win another tournament uh Mike and I we were going to get married and we have talked about family I mean I was you know I was at that time you know 30 36 37 and you know the body clock is starting you know to you know, to take and, you you know, you got to think about the future. Looking back, I was lucky to be able to have this conversation with myself because a lot of athletes, unfortunately, you know, they get injured or they have to stop for maybe reasons they don't want to. So I feel that that's something I have a peace of mind of, knowing that, you know, I did it on my terms as far as, you know, I just didn't want to do it anymore. So, and then, you know, the the passion for, for business started to grow. The passion for my clothing line, for designing courses, for, you know, for the foundation. And I just saw these opportunities and it was more exciting. And a lot of people was like, well, why don't you just play a little? Why don't you? Do? I said, there's no such thing as a little. I do either zero or I do it 150%. I'm still competitive. You know, I'm still you know, hardworking, I'm still dedicated. Those feelings don't go away. It's just, you know, you kind of channel them into different things and, you know, in my case, it's a new adventure, a new chapter in my life, and it's okay to put your energy and you know, skills somewhere else. What
0: made you decide to play in the LPGA event? Uh,
1: Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is it's right here. I mean, we're literally talking 30 yards, you know, to my right, Uh, you know, we, we live here, this is where, you know, I spent the last 20 years, uh, you know, got married at the country club. Uh, you know, Ava and Will were born here. You know, this is this is our life, this is our community. This is, I mean, I'm one of the long-standing pros that have been here. So now I'm, I'm, I've turned 50. Uh, I'm thinking about playing in the U.S. Women's Senior Open and, uh, you know, I realized that it's not just, you know, get back on the bike like you would think it is. So uh, this was a last-minute decision, no doubt, because, you know, I didn't really plan this other than I was planning on playing in the summer in an the event, and I said, I need reps. This is perfect. I can roll out of bed. Uh, the kids wanted me to play. Mike wanted me to play. And the neighbors and the members, you know, I'd be out there. Are you getting ready? Are you playing? Yeah. I said, well, I don't know. Come on. You know, we so it was like a, a combination of things.
0: Likelihood you ever see her playing competitively regularly?
3: I I really doubt that. Um, I don't think that'll happen. I mean, you never know. If you asked me two years ago if she'd play another one, I would have said no. What do you think changed? um, Literally, that it it moved it into our backyard. Um, That made all the difference. If it was, I'm talking down the street, I don't think she would have played. She can't be sitting in our office watching people go by and and not be a part of it, I think.
0: I know with your new position, it creates some scheduling challenges in yeah. terms of <laughs> playing in the Women's Senior Open this summer. How do you mm-hmm. think that all unfolds?
1: Yeah, that will be interesting to see. So, you know, being the president of the International Golf Federation, you know, uh, the biggest uh, responsibility they have is, you know, it's the Olympics. And, uh, and that happens to be literally exactly the same week as you know, some of the scheduling. So my friends at IGF and the people that I work with, they're giving me the thumbs up. They they love having a, they call it an active active playing president. They like, you know, me for to be out there. And so we'll just see what happens in the logistics and so forth. You know, if we don't support these events, they will go away. So I feel a little bit, you know, responsible to support these events too. So yeah, it's been a little... Um, scheduled challenge i would say but trying to just do what the right thing is
0: any chance the olympics don't happen in your opinion
1: um you know as of now they're moving forward um you know but as, as probably everybody can understand you know covid is a such a huge part of this uh you know the safety of the athletes the safety of the officials and uh you know everybody involved is so important so uh all i can say is i'm glad i'm not part of the ioc committee that's putting this playbook together because it's probably a puzzle of millions and millions pieces that and some of them are invisible if you know what i mean so it's uh it's gonna be interesting to see if they pull it off
0: and what do your new duties entail with the position well
1: i mean it's I, right now, I'm just in orientation mode. I'm okay. trying to learn a lot about the IOC. I'm trying to learn a lot about golf and and its positions and and the purpose and how we can you know continue to grow the game of golf. Uh, but it's it's a very uh, it's an interesting organizations, the IOC and all that. It's like a big spider web, and I'm sure you can imagine it's been. You know very political and then very international and it's very uh, it's a complicated thing but it's i find it very fascinating i've always been interested in the olympics and as a young girl i i i thought it would be cool to represent your country at the time i played tennis um and uh you know at that time they didn't have golf so uh, and then when they did golf then i was too old so but now i can somehow be part of it a little bit more and Uh, And be able to make sure that golf is represented in the right way.
0: What did uh, going through the divorce teach you about what you were looking for in a partner?
1: Um, Well, I think uh, I think going through such a, you know, horrible time. I know, you know, many people unfortunately goes through it But I think number one is first it was like you look at yourself and you go what's wrong with me? Uh, Especially because at this time I was number one in the world. I played at the Colonia. had a book to come out. I mean, it was a lot of positive things, but just on my personal side, it was just, it was turmoil, and it was just very complicated, and then once you get over the blaming thing, it's like, okay, well, you know, I can, I'm sure I can improve. I think the best advice I got from somebody is, you know, it's like, you know, you go into a dance with somebody, um, and if that person doesn't want to dance, it's going to be very difficult, and I realized that uh, I didn't have anybody to dance with, and this was my life, you know, if you're going to uh, live with somebody, they, they need to be part of it. I felt like being on the golf course, I was in control on the golf course, like, I was in control what club to hit, where to hit it, my golf ball listened, but my partner didn't listen, so it was like, I'm in control here, that's probably why I played well, is I was excited to be on the golf course, because uh, it was going my way, and um, so I was able to shut that part off. As a matter of fact, I wanted to be more on the golf course because i was I was I was in a happy place there.
0: I was talking to uh, Mike the other day, and he said, uh, he knew right away that you were the one. How about for you?
1: Uh, one of the things that always stood out was his smile. You know, he has a very affectionate smile, and you know he's always a very happy guy and uh, seemed to be enjoying life. Um, and then when, he started to work with tournaments. I would run into him.
3: She was always so sweet and always so nice and humble. And I would congratulate her. all oh, thanks. How are you? You know, always deflecting praise.
1: And then, you know, my life kind of got turned around. And, you know, I was going through a divorce. And and my friend said, you got to go meet somebody. And, well, it's easy to say you're number one in the world. And and you know where do you meet people and right. but anyway I was literally just cleaning my office and uh, his business card was right there and I remember looking at it and and I think I smiled because I know he would have smiled so yeah that was kind of that was cool
0: so you, <laughs> it uh, gets to you now what about it
1: you know he understands me and he takes my faults and then he he makes me feel good and I can be a little you know i'm quite strict i'm quite disciplined i'm quite focused and that could be annoying for some people and maybe some good sides too but you know it's you know you jump in with somebody who's just kind of on a mission and you know he jumped in there from the beginning
3: i felt that i understood her lifestyle you know my dad having played the tour for 16 years my mom was the best wife and everything was about him and taking care of his game and whatever he needed i've kind of felt i had that in me Um, to understand and support her, and give her what she needed. And you kind of picked him up too, <laughs> right? With I sending did. The first yeah. Email.
1: You know, the business card showed up. I reached out. You know, I sent him an email, and I guess I ended up in in his spam box.
3: I had time to actually look through my spam, and I'd like would delete the whole page, and but then I saw one that said, "Hey, Mike, hope you're well. Um, if this is still your email address, you know, I'd love to say hi or something like that. All the best, Sonica, Soren Sorensen." And I was like. Thought it was a buddy busting my chops like why would she email me
1: you throw out your fishing rod and if you get a bite great if you don't get a bite you get another hook <laughs> so uh, and he bit
0: and it just so happens you're with your colleague who then gets a call
3: right. from her she was hitting balls here at lake nona driving it badly which doesn't often happen slammed her driver on the ground which doesn't happen and the little callaway chevron v broke off which doesn't happen and she called barry to see if that was going to affect the swing weight he handed me the phone, I asked her to dinner.
1: You know, it was a, a, a slow process, and I really didn't know at the time what, you know, my mental status. I wasn't lonely or anything, but, you know, it's fun to have company and so forth. So we just literally just started to chat. She just went through a rough time,
3: and then I was patient. and. And, you know, didn't make any moves or anything. I was just the nice, like the neighbor, you know.
0: Mike says uh, you probably thought something was wrong with him because of how long it took him to kiss you for the first time.
1: Oh, I did not Yeah, I looked at him and I respected his, uh, you know, just taking the time and and real. And I, I think I realized at that time, you know, he's, this is for the long term.
0: How did you propose?
1: I was having just the most quiet day in the office, literally sitting in my PJs or my robe and just, not having anything on the agenda.
3: The day I proposed, um, I was gonna do it, we were gonna go to Monaco after the Solheim Cup. I just thought, James Bond at the casino, you know, I'll wear my suit and it'll be great, and the dress she talked about. And that day she said literally three or four times, oh, I love this, I love being home, I love having nothing to do, this is so great, so relaxing. And I was like, what's better than that? You know, so.
1: He went down and he he did it the proper way or the real way or whatever you want to say, the traditional way. And
0: That was a split second decision on your end.
3: I went right in the bedroom and I got in my sock drawer and I got the ring and I stuck it in my pocket and I was like in my shorts and t-shirt, you know, to work out and just thought, this is so not romantic. <laughs> and, uh, but I did it. And thankfully she said yes.
1: <laughs> I was like, what, you know, I was like, now, here, you know, you always think it's going to be fancy and, and a dress and a beautiful dinner and music and champagne. And, uh, but no, it was just it was just us.
3: So my mom told me the best advice ever, that every relationship has a king and every relationship has a queen. Sometimes the king's the queen, sometimes the queen's the king. And, you know, it made immediate sense that she is the king in our relationship. I, I totally get that. I embrace that. I respect that. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. People bust my chops, call me Mr. Sorenstam. And I laugh and I'm like, it's Mr. Annika. You know, we don't use Sorenstam. We try to do the Annika brand. So call me Mr. Anika, You know, I'm, I'm proud of it and I love it.
0: You share uh, an office together here at the house. What's that working dynamic like?
3: You know, it, it's very good. I'll say we, we get along well. We respect each other and we think a lot alike. It's not like we're sitting there, you know, eight hours together. Um, we take turns taking both kids to school. And then we come out. Usually I'll go straight to the office. She'll work out or do something or go practice.
0: Although what happens when she goes out putting? <laughs> she needs a break.
3: You were thought, surprised
0: to learn this. Yeah, yeah.
3: It was a, She did a podcast and she said, yeah, I feel like if I just need a break, I'll just go practice. And I was like oh that's why you practice it all the time
0: your uh second kid will mm-hmm. you know it's 2011 i think you're early in your third trimester you wake mike up in the middle of the night and if you don't yeah. mind take
2: this yeah story from i mean there. it
1: was right here at this house you know the first 26 weeks of the pregnancy was what we thought anyway was normal you know i just remember having to go to the bathroom which you know i'm not unusual when you're pregnant and And I lay down and I'm like, I gotta go again. I mean, that's weird. And so I turned on the light and it was like my white sheets were like just red. And so I freaked out and I, you know, ran to Mike and he was running around like a chicken with no head. You know, like, I'm like, calm down. We need to have a plan. You know, like, what are we gonna do? I mean, we were out of the door in five minutes and, you know, Mike kept asking me, how do you feel? How do you feel? Do you feel him? Like, because we knew it was a boy. I said, I don't feel anything. Just driving pedal, you know, all the way.
3: I thought we lost our son. Simple as that. W- why? Because of the way she bled and everything. I figured it can't be anything good.
1: He dropped me off at the emergency. I mean, it's 2 in the morning, so it's a little quiet. And I remember running in and I said, I, like, I need help. I need help. And they're like, calm down, lady. Calm down, lady. And I said, I'm not calming down. I'm not feeling any forms. You know, just uh, calm down. And then they told me that, you know, I. Uh, I, you know, uh, my placenta had broke.
3: And I've went online and read and there's not much good that comes out of that. I mean, it's a lot of brain damage and if they're not out soon, like the longer they're in there, the more chance bad things happen.
1: Eventually, once my forms were filled, they were cool. (laughs) But uh, yeah, and then he came out 16 hours later, I mean, this little man, um, he was just ready to to come and at the time we didn't really have a name for him you know but they said that there was a heartbeat there and he seemed okay and uh, I think mine was probably beating faster than his you know he hadn't developed his lungs yet his skin wasn't ready I mean he was kind of see-through and it was just I mean the size of him he was so so small I mean he was two pounds and 12 ounces I've never seen anything like it.
0: When you're in the NICU for 57 days and listening to some of the stories from other families that ended up being less fortunate. What are you thinking?
3: I mean, literally thanking God every day. I prayed a lot during that time, and um, we were just blessed.
1: I remember just, you know, on occasion, saying, you know, why is this happening? Obviously, everything was put on hold, everything. You know, we would take turns to go and, and see him, but we learned so much about, you know, just him and all the different things to look out for.
3: Each day, we'd go in and, and ask what happened during the night, and they would say, stop breathing. 38 times and his heart stopped and all these things. And it was just education by fire with all these numbers and beeping and noises. And it was, it was just very um, trying.
1: And then eventually we started the kangaroo care, which is when you wrap him up, uh, your baby, and you literally hold them skin to skin. And you sit there for an hour, an hour and a half and just really bond.
0: How, how well do you remember uh, that first time?
1: Well, first it was just, you know, you, well, you feel like, well, I'm going to hurt him. He's going to break. And, you know, you're just so sensitive. You know, I remember waking up in the middle of the night just hearing beeps on my own because that's all I heard. I mean, it was beeping for this, beeping for that. and But eventually, you you know, we got to know each other. And, you know, he was uh, very, very cuddly. It was an extraordinary time in that sense. I mean, it was just like I've never experienced anything like it. But we were on a mission, and once you got past a few... Of the, you know, the critical moments or the hurdles. You know, we saw the, you know, the light in the tunnel and, um, you know, and then eventually it was time for us to take him home and I think it was five pounds at that time, which is just small. Every night, you know, you're literally staring at him in the crib every second, you know, just, is he breathing, is he breathing? So it was a stressful for that sense.
3: I, I really think I had a nervous breakdown. Um, it was in the middle of all this, uh, maybe, maybe two weeks after Will was born and um, and I woke up. It was just, like I said, weird, surreal times. And, and I woke up and my both feet were turned like this, cramped, and, and they were going numb. And I was like, what in the world? I had to get bit by a spider or something. My mind was obviously playing tricks on me because I was fine. And, um, and I'll never forget a, a dear doctor friend who has since passed, he said, Mike, you need to pull your pants down and take a slide on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> chill out, and and he was right, and so from that point on I tried to chill out.
0: Explain why he's not named Nicholas Alexander.
1: Yeah, so you know, every parent probably has names lined up, and then when this happened, you know, I remember laying there in this bed, and, and I looked at Mike, I said, you know, this is, we need to name him Will.
3: When we knew that he, it was touch and go and he may not make it, we knew that he needed the will to live, so we made it William Nicholas. How did, that like who brought that up? Um, I I think it was Annika's idea, and we'll call him Will. Um, he needed the willpower, and he has it.
0: You come from, you know, a competitive family, but it wasn't just golf that, mm-hmm. you know, you were strong and you were skilled a tennis player. I think you're ranked 12th in the Stockholm Juniors Maybe at some I point. Maybe Yeah, in it was tennis. some time ago. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. How did uh, opponents exploit your backhand?
1: Well, I mean, that's the thing with tennis. If you ever played that type of sport is, you know, you're trying to figure out your your opponent's weaknesses and it was very obvious that my backhand wasn't strong enough. So I literally was playing, you know, way out here on the left side and had to run all the way to the right and keep hitting forehands and they kept pounding on the left side and and uh, you know, it didn't work when you start to play some seated players, you know, they get the hang of it quickly.
0: I think you were kind of burnt out of tennis by 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, you initially thought golf was too slow a sport, and for old people. But interestingly, yeah. your sister said the two of you kind of both came to the same conclusion that golf was a sport to pursue because, at least in part, you could practice singularly. Yeah. Uh, how true is that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I would say absolutely true. In golf, is you know you play against yourself, so you you can play to your to your strength. You can always practice on your own. You didn't need a, a, a partner. In tennis, I always felt like I needed somebody, and I wanted somebody better because you know to hit shots and improve, you need the challenge. If somebody can't hit it over the net, it's it just doesn't do you anything. But in golf, I can go out there. I can chip when I wanted, bunker shots when I hit it. I can go and just kind of play. And we would spend the whole summers on the golf course. We would pick up golf balls in the evening to earn some money. I would work a little bit in the pro shop to earn some money. And then we'll swim in the lakes for, you know, to cool off, but also to find golf balls. And, and you know, we would we don't have alligators in, in Sweden, so you don't have to worry. But um, I never forget that's kind of how it, how it turned out.
0: Your mom played golf when you know she was pregnant mm-hmm. with you uh, your dad was an accomplished uh handball player how competitive was the family
1: we were very competitive yeah i mean we would um other than the sports that you mentioned we played a lot of cards we played uh yahtzee we played a lot of chess cards would fly chess pieces would fly uh, so we had to learn how to temper our, or you know manage our temperament at the end of the day it was fun but yeah we wanted to do well uh, it well, was like it, a big deal. And, and on
0: the Yahtzee front, I understand that's an ongoing game.
1: Yeah, so we would have marathon, like you literally just keep playing. You can imagine after 10 years, you have a lot of points and it becomes a big discrepancy back and forth. So we started a little bit with our family and, um, you know, they looked at they go, oh, we don't like this game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and the scorecard still exists, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, we have done. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I um, But... Uh, I guess I'm I'm still very competitive, in other words.
0: How much of a connection do you think there is between that and the stats that you keep during your career? Because I think you have stats dating back to, like, 1987. Yeah,
1: 87, correct. So I guess numbers have always been my thing. You know, I loved math. I loved physics. And my dad worked for IBM for... 25 years, so uh, there would be summers where he would send me to like computer school, sitting inside and programming. And you know,
0: you'd interested in being a chemical engineer at some point? I wanted to be point? a chemical engineer, because okay. I liked yeah.
1: chemistry at the time. But my, So computers, you know, we're talking 84, 85. And at that time, I remember just sitting there, looking outside, like, I want to be on the golf course. And here I was writing DOS programs. <laughs> um, so I said, fine, I'm going to make the most out of it. So I wrote uh, one for Excel for, um, for my golf, so I configured. Then maybe this is a purpose of when I'm done with this. So, yeah, that was uh, an interesting time. And I, my dad realized that that wasn't for me. And but it was good to have kind of the basics at that time because you know how I practice and how how did I feel? How was it in relation to? It wasn't just just the numbers on its so own. Some people probably call it very nerdy. And uh, but it was my way to be. Um, how would you say, you know, just being objective in, in my game. I mean, when we play golf, not a lot of people are objective when they talk about their own golf shots. It's, you know, it's a bad break, it's this and this, you know, I was so unlucky. So how do you, how do you analyze your game with, with having no emotions to it? And it's by looking at numbers. And, you know, I would divide in the greens into uh, nine quarters or not, qu- but nine pieces. So I would say I had nine things so I could see my pattern. You know, I would see that I had a really good understanding of my game quickly also and I think for a lot of young kids nowadays they're just so focused on their coach they don't understand much of the The swing, they don't understand much of it. It's because they have so much great technology that it tells you right away. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that, I mean. And so I learned quickly, I had to be my own coach, because my coach, when I was in college, my coach was in Sweden at that time. You send the tape and the VHS tape, and by the time we got to Sweden, 10 days later, I was not doing the same thing. I'd already changed my swing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you had to be a little more efficient.
0: Uh, How much of a direct connection is there for you between that and your interest in the stock market?
1: Uh, I think it's numbers. When I started to earn my own money, um, I realized I had to do something with it. So I remember I literally uh, had gotten my first check. I had uh, got some sponsor money. And I look at my bank account and, you know, I had a lot of money in cash. So I bought a book, Investing 101. And I just read it and I'm like, whoa, okay. So I, I just, I took that money and I bought literally every blue chip stock there was. Of course, I bought IBM because my dad. Um, but you know, I bought Johnson and Johnson, American Express, and Mastercard, and all of those things. Uh, Boeing, I bought them in '97, and and since then I've been interested in it.
0: Early on in your career, yeah. how did you go about finding smart ways to save money?
1: It might sound funny sitting here and looking at the house, but I'm not really a materialistic person. You know, I don't, I'm, I don't have the latest technology. I don't, you know, I don't splurge on fancy clothing. I don't. Uh, I enjoy food, I enjoy certain wine, but, uh, you know, we really don't, uh, we don't really splurge. Um, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I guess proud of in a way that I just buy the necessary things. I buy blueberries when, they, when you get two for one, you know, and if we don't get two for one, we're having raspberries. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do, you know, it's just an example, but I do, you know, I think more long term I, I like to invest not in the stock market but we have invested a lot in real estate um, I feel like that has had a good return for us uh, I feel like I'm buying something that I have and not something that I just will use and it's gone so um, but that's just my personal philosophy and maybe that's being a little bit of Swedish in me um, but it's only the way my parents are um, so We'll see if the kids get that or not, you know, but I want them to to know that it's, you know, we're lucky where we are. And I mean, I would say that, you know, when things happen like COVID, I mean, we never really thought this could happen probably. And, you know, we have to, you know, to minimize your, you know, your lifestyle and, and uh, you know, help others if you can, and which we can and we do. So... I feel lucky about that.
0: You go back to 93, uh, when you first had a little bit of money, you go to a car dealership and uh, don't negotiate and do what?
1: <laughs> yeah, I've learned a lot of lessons. I didn't know you can negotiate a dealership because <laughs> i I'd never been there and I just saw this car. It was a beautiful teal car and it just shiny. And, and uh, I just said, I'd like to buy that. And they probably looked at me like, you know, because at the time I was 20, 24 maybe, and probably didn't know if I had any money or anything. and. Um, I probably used all my money anyway for that. Uh, Yeah, so I just, it said, you know, the price tag, and that's where I wrote the check on, and that was it. They probably smiled and said, what a, you know, that young lady needs to learn some lessons in her life.
0: (laughs) How does the money that you've made from your professional career Mm -hmm. compare to what you've made in, in investing
1: my investment uh, strategy is very much like the one I have on the golf course my strategy I'm I'm for the big odds you know I, I try to hit the fairway you know I don't go for that you know that tight shot that you know the the one percent return opportunity and uh, on the contrary i'm just very you know i'm very cautious um, i'm very long term you need patience i mean you really do and you need ice in your veins and i would say i have that a lot of times kind of like on the golf course you just you have to believe in yourself and uh, i do buy on dips when there's a market dip i'm buying you know um a lot of people run uh, i don't run um I, that's when i kind of strike
0: so uh, coming to america Yeah. Uh, 1990 you board a flight in Stockholm when you get to Tucson how much did it just seem like you were arriving on another planet
1: yeah it was very it was very different uh, i was i was by myself i had two suitcases and one golf bag and i really didn't know didn't know anybody i'd met the coach very briefly but also i was very excited you know i was here i have a chance to pursue my career i had this opportunity to learn english New experiences, play golf year round. Just, I was very excited about all those positive things. Uh, being a freshman, and you know, it was, I was—I didn't know what NCAA was. I didn't know. I mean, I hadn't gone on a recruiting trip. It was very, very different.
0: What did your roommate's dad do when he saw what you showed up with?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, my roommate. Um, she came with a U-Haul. <laughs> you know she and here you know dorms are probably as big as this chair and yours together so i was literally in this little corner uh but you know he was very helpful he said i think you need some stuff and i said well you know just i didn't have any blankets i didn't have any pillows i didn't have any sheets so he says let me take you and i've never seen such a big store in my life i mean it was massive warehouse and i all of a sudden i just kind of forgot what Everything was called, and I remember I I told him, I need one of these, you know, like he goes, a pillow. <laughs> so he helped me to get all that.
0: When uh, you first failed to qualify for the LPGA mm-hmm. Tour at Q School, any truth to the fact that you initially doubted your decision to pursue golf?
1: I mean, I'm sure it was there, you know, because I actually thought, oh, this was the end of my career. You know, like, really? where, where am I going to play? You know, I've been in America now for two years and and uh so you know i think i felt a little sorry for myself for a few moments and you know you just kind of get a little grumpy and and then i said okay well you can i mean you choose your path in life so it's like enough being grumpy let's just kind of look at the opportunities i'm always i believe that things happen for a reason and uh so i practice in the winter just you know working hard thinking if i can get my game and where it needs to be then Maybe I will get another chance to to go to tour school. And then I got invited to three tournaments uh, that spring, and that got me fired up. Now I was like, now I didn't have any doubts anymore. And I remember just, you know, I made a big check, and I was like, wow, this is, wow, that was kind of my budget for the year. Now I have zero pressure. Now I can just go play. And then I think it was top 90, so I was top 90 on the money list, so therefore I got the card for the following year.
0: How crucial was how you dealt with that adversity with you know, not qualifying at Q school to your eventual success?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people are surprised to hear that, first of all, that I didn't, I didn't get my card right away, you know, because I was, I had won NCAA as a freshman. I finished second the following year and I had won, I think seven college tournaments. So you think, this is a lock, right, you know, but, it, but it's not. I mean, it's very competitive and, and uh, it's, it's important to share that story because, I mean, I think we all have our ups and downs, and, but I think it's the way you approach it, your attitude and, and what you do with your situation.
0: Uh, your work ethic and your thought process when you, you were playing, uh, starting with your work ethic, just going back to a now kind of famous story when you were a kid out playing it starts raining
1: i was 14 or 15 and it was cold and uh, i just didn't want to be there on the driving range and i remember calling my dad you know can you pick me up we drove away and, and i remember there were some other kids uh, hitting balls in the rain and and my dad turned to me just and he would say you know annika i just want you to know there are no shortcuts to success and if you want to go somewhere in life you have to put in the time and you know nobody else is going to hit balls for you and not every day is going to be sunny and shiny and and positive so i think you know that was one of the things that you carry with you it's like you know what here i'm dreaming big about being something and then i'm just the one i put in the work it's like that doesn't go together
0: when you were on tour you generally avoided socializing with other players Mm -hmm. why
1: I don't know if I avoided socializing. I think it was more you know, I took my job very seriously. You know, I um I practice a lot. I mean that you know my, that's all I did, morning to night. Uh and uh you know, I was just very disciplined. So, you know, I go bed I go to bed early. You know, the goal wasn't to go out there and and have the most friends. It was more, okay, I'm gonna, this is my job. You know, I just realized that my schedule was different than others and it was just very difficult. So, you know, I realized that, you know, I need to really do this kind of on my own.
0: And then you said before the journey to the top mm-hmm. was a lonely one.
1: Yeah, so I, very disciplined, very organized, very, you know, consistent. And, uh, you know, I, I I knew that that's what it would take for me to be at the top was to be focused was to be you know not have distractions and and so i was you know as far as scheduling i mean this was practice this was tournament and this was relaxing time and when it was relaxing or rest time then i hooked up with friends it's just learning how to turn it on and turn it off because that's what i i think one of my strength was i was able to be focused every time i played
0: the height of uh, you know, your career, you had, the, you know, three low scoring seasons in the history of the LPGA from, uh, you know, one to uh 5 You enter 104 tournaments, finish in the top three 67 times, win 43 times. I want to take you back to that first U.S. Open mm-hmm. uh, victory, though. Um, I-, I think you called your parents right mm-hmm. afterwards who weren't even able to watch the tail end of it uh, on TV. Um, what did you say?
1: Well, I mean, I I had a tissue box next to the U.S. Open trophy. I mean, it was just, you know, calling them and thanking them, you know, loving them. And I think there's certain moments in your life when you kind of reflect more than others, you know, and that I wish they would have been there. They've been with me from the very beginning. I try to share some stories and laughs and cries and just include them because without them, I wouldn't be there.
0: After you win, you board a Southwest flight from, I think, Colorado Springs to Phoenix. The, the flight attendant gets yeah, on so the, the loudspeaker and yeah, announces you. Yeah, so the you. captain,
1: I heard him in the loudspeaker saying, we just want to congratulate, you know, the, the newest U.S. Open winner. Um, and um, I was uh, finally I was like, wow, it's me, I'm nervous. You know, that's, I, I never really bring attention to me. It's more just, um, <laughs> you know, just being there. So that was yeah. quite different, but, you know, I." I'm thankful. It was nice. It was a nice thing. I just wasn't used to it because then the phone started ringing. I got home. I had all these messages and the commissioner called and this and this. All of a sudden, they wanted to know this young Swede. You know, she's 24. What does she like to eat? Who does she hang out with? You know, all all of a sudden, it was like all this personal stuff and, you know, who's she dating? And it was like, I I wasn't prepared for that. I had prepared to hit seven eyes. I had prepared to make putts but not like all of a sudden be on front covers of golf magazines and and just kind of be the topic. <laughs>
0: uh, and lastly, I want to wrap with uh, asking you a couple questions mm-hmm. about cooking. Uh, passionate about it, wanted to get better about it many years ago. Mm-hmm. What'd you do with the uh, Lake Nona Country Club?
1: Yeah, so I um, in my off season I wanted to do something a little different, and I, as you said, I like to cook, so I asked them if I could help them a few days a week. So yeah, so I, I got a a job uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday at the at the kitchen here, like NoNa, and uh, it was from four to ten, and it was just I wanted to learn. So my idea was learn a little about, you know, the salad department, the dessert department, you know, the prep department and then kind of, you know, the saute and the grilling department and that is sushi area too. So I just wanted to learn and it, it was really fun but it was difficult. Um, you know, for, you stand on your feet constantly and, you know, just the preparation, the timing and everything and, and you know, I realize you have to have passion which I guess I do in golf so, uh, and the commitment, uh, but I never forget we had a, a steak night at the club and, and of course people want steak, but not everybody eats steak. Some people eat chicken and, and seafood. And I remember some guest or member was really upset about not getting And I remember I walked out there because, and they're like, oh, it's you. And I said, yeah, it's me. I'm behind the kitchen. All of a sudden the tone changed and her, her husband said, this is the best steak I've ever had not even knowing that i had grilled it or probably could have been the sous chef i probably didn't touch the steak, but i said thanks and then all of a sudden it was just kind of fun they, uh, i understood where they were coming from and they understood me that you know i'm a, a bogey uh bogey chef so mistakes will be done so it was kind of a funny uh situation to it in the end but I, I did love it i you know i learned quite a few pointers a few tips that i still use you know in our house as far as just making sure chicken doesn't um you know get so dry when you do chicken uh, just a little tricks and of the trade that they had.
0: Uh, It's true your kids have never had McDonald's.
1: They haven't with us, no. Uh, I think grandma gave them like an orange juice one time from there, but uh, no, we're not fast food. Um, We don't eat fast food at all. Um, I try to be healthy, you know. It doesn't mean I, I, I have before. In college, I was cheap, you know, and you needed to eat and I did a little bit on the tour once in a while for convenience, but since we have kids, now, I try to just uh, moderation. Yeah, we have a word in Swedish called lagom. Lagom means, you know, not too much, not too little, just average or whatever you call it down the middle. So we try to be lagom. So yeah, they have sweets and they have this and this, but we try to stay away from some of the, the, you know, not so good stuff.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: Sornstam also gave us a tour of her seven-acre property and let us tag along for a family game of pickleball, both of which you can view on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger. Also make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It really does help us out a ton. Thanks so much for listening.